Shalom, and thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, the president and dean of Valley Beit Midrash. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning, bringing cutting-edge ideas and innovative and pluralistic Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and enjoy the program. Okay. Uh, good evening, everyone. It's, I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'd just like to maybe begin by... Um, first of all, I'm actually putting my phone on uh, silent, so that's a re- very recommended thing to do. I wanted to, today we're going to talk about the subject of um, violence, uh, murder. I don't know why we chose this topic, but uh, unfortunately this is something which is always in the news. And um, I think uh, we, we, we look at this as something very distant to ourselves, and, but I really would like to talk about uh, trends within society, and I think maybe I should start with an introduction to this story. I mean, I'm sure that everybody has heard of the story of Cain and Abel. It's become a sort of, um, it's become a part of Western culture. It's not part of the, uh, you know, Hebrew Bible or part of the Old Testament, but it's really become a symbol, and we can talk about the mark of Cain and all sorts of other things. Um, and I want to say something about these Bible stories. This comes from the very beginning of the Torah, Genesis chapter 4, right? The creation story is chapter 1 and 2, the sin of eating the apple in the Garden of Eden, chapter 3, and then this is all here. Um, one of our foundational stories. But I'd like to say something about these stories before we even jump into this. Because, of course, many of you will ask me... Uh, is this historical? Was there ever a Cain? Was there ever an Abel? Right? If you remember the family tree, who are the first two people to be created, of course? They are Adam and Eve. And these are their children. We're going to read about it in a minute, right? Cain and Abel. Okay? One of the things that Cain, Cain of course, I hope I'm not giving away the spoilers here, right? <laughs> okay? <laughs> but I'm assuming, you've, uh, you know, I'm assuming you, I'm assuming you got this far in Hebrew school, okay? All right? Of course, Cain, Cain kills Abel, and then God punishes Cain. And then Cain says um, to God, Oh my goodness, if I have to wander around the globe, someone's going to kill me, right? And you're like, One second, who's going to kill him, right? Your dad or your mom, right? Like, what is that? I, you know, like, what, what's going on? And the question is how really to relate to these stories. Are these stories really historical? So I'd like to just say one word about that before we even begin the stories. Um, in, a way, in a sense, these stories are, um, how should I, I'm going to use a word which I don't want to be misunderstood. These stories are mythic, right? I, by a myth, I don't mean they didn't necessarily happen. Maybe they happened, maybe they didn't happen. I think by a myth, what I really mean is, a myth is a story which explains our world. Uh, I, if I really wanted to say a myth, I'd actually say it doesn't really make a difference whether it happened or, or it happened or not, because it is happening all the time. Myth is a story which informs our present. Uh, is it in a story which rests in the past? 
Um, and in that regard, these are, are mythical stories. In other words, I think you know, many of us don't necessarily believe that the world is 5,777 years old. We you know, study modern um, science and we've read that the world is 14 billion years old. Some of us don't know if the, don't really think that human beings came into creation <laughs> from the dust of the earth and God breathed life into them. But we look at these as metaphors, right, which describe the state of our being. We're the dust of the earth, dust to dust, and we have spirituality within us. Likewise, these stories are foundational stories which tell us something about our psychology. They tell us something about trends within human society. And that's how I really would like to read these stories um, and try and look at them. Um, so I think we're going to try and dive into the story. And um, I know that many of you know the story of Cain and Abel, but I want to try and take it into a wider context today and go a little deeper. And I think the best way for me to do this is for me to actually stop talking now and to do something with you, which, with you, which is something that we do frequently in, in Pardes. Um, but I, I don't know how much you're used to it. And we're going to learn in a system that we call Chavruta. Um, I see lots of people nodding, but I'm just going to explain for those who don't. Uh, Chavruta comes from the idea that happens in many, many uh, study halls in yeshivas and other places of learning in pairs or learning in small groups. The idea is that we can sort of read the text and reflect on it ourselves. Chavruta also comes to the world for chaver, friends, because you make friends with a person who you are studying with, and uh, you have a chance to reflect, just like you do in a friendship, where you tell something and they say something, and uh, then you come, uh, come back at each other from your own vantage points. And that's what I would like to do. So you've got a, a whole chapter here to read. Um, you can see it on page one. Uh, it's only 26 verses, so I think we can you know, spend a few minutes uh, looking at it. And um, I would like to uh, suggest that you team up into pairs. And if we're not exactly an even number, so you can team up into a three. And uh, this is how I'd like you to study. Read a few lines, uh, maybe four or five verses, um, <clears throat> and then stop and uh, ask the person who you're reading with, okay, uh, you know, ask them like maybe to summarize. And maybe you'll find out that they're summarizing it differently than the way you understood it, right? I'm going to throw out a couple of questions for you to think about. Um, and then when you're studying, you'll be able to think about these questions. Question number one, I want you to think about. Its story begins with Cain and Abel, each offering a gift to God, a sacrifice to God. Um, one of their sacrifices is accepted by God, one is not. Why? Why is one's accepted? Why is one's not? I think I'm going to have to ask another question, which is an obvious one. Why did Cain kill Abel? <laughs> um, and then I want you to think about um, Cain's punishment. But then I also want you to go to the end of the story and ask why we hear the whole end of the story. Um, we're going to see a whole list of Cain's descendants and a song of somebody called Lemech. Right? You can see it there. It's written in poetic form in verse 23 and 24. What is going on with that song? What is going on with Cain's de uh, descendants? And we're going to try and talk about some of these things. We'll give you about eight minutes, ten minutes to read. And then we'll regroup and I'd love to hear your reflections. Okay? So, let's, uh, let's get to it. You know, don't be shy. Uh, get together in groups and uh, read. 
Um, we're not good. We're gonna, since we'll be reading, there'll be a little bit of noise in the room, and that's just great. We like to hear that noise. So. All right, let's see what we can uh, make of this, of this story. Uh, I don't know if anybody wants to begin with a couple of reflections uh, from your discussions or maybe something which, was, uh, which is burning on your minds from, this, uh, from some of the, uh, what were you, what, what your, your study. Yes? We, can I go to the punishment at the end? You can do anything. Um, it's, it appears that the punishment was more than his, than his losing his ability to make a living or to, to, to have any kind of relationship with the community or any success, which he found unbearable. But it was also that his descendants became criminals. Oh. And they killed because... It looked like it was okay to do that because he did it. Right. Okay, so we're going to have to get to his descendants, but that's a very, a very important observation. Um, yeah? Okay, going to the beginning, it's almost like a setup. Uh, in, in the <laughs> way Cain's, Cain's the firstborn, Abel's secondborn, but Cain's the one who's almost shown <coughs> his favor right. by the Lord. I mean, the Lord's already shown his favoritism. And then, so that could be pretty provocative for a firstborn. And he subsequently slain Abel. It's just the whole thing, sort of like, is a setup to put God in this position to have some either retribution or for what finally follows at the very end, where it was then the man began to invoke the Lord by name. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay, I really want to hold on to that comment. It's going to be a really important comment for us, right? This was, is God setting them up? And we, we're going we're gonna to focus on that in a few minutes. Yes? If, there were, if we only have three at this point, where did Cain find his wife? Right. Yes. So that's why I said it's, I think, a mythic story. I think we have to imagine that civilization is emerging, you know, like science tells us, and that we're been, being told a paradigmatic story. You'll notice, by the way, when um, the, 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 we talk about Adam, right? Even in the Hebrew, Adam yadayat chava ishto. And now notice the English doesn't say Adam knew his wife. It says the man, right? Um, and it's a very difficult question to know how to translate the word Adam. Should we translate it as the man, as in the human? As in, you know, that this is sort of like a, par- a paradigmatic story about the beginnings of humankind. Or should we read it about a person whose name is Adam? And of course, Adam means both, right? Uh, <laughs> And uh, B'nai Adam is human beings, and Adam refers to Adam himself. And I think that's exactly what was my point about, about the mythical reading, um, in the sense that this is meant, that the way our story is told is told about this nuclear family, you know, Adam and Chava and Cain and Hevel. But really, it's meant to be talking about the whole of mankind. So I think, I think we shouldn't be, get too caught up about whether there are other people around because I think there are all sorts of bits of the story that assume there are, as you said, 100%. Where's his wife from? Why is he worried about who will kill him? There are clearly other people around, even though the Torahs told this story about this very nuclear family. Yes? The story does not explain why God accepted Abel's um, gift but did not accept Cain's. Right. One is led to believe that Cain had already done some evil or something that was not favorable to God, so let, therefore he did not... Beautiful. So let's start with that question. Okay? Let's start with that question. I mean, the answer might be that he's trying to set him up, but we'll see what we can do with that. Uh, 
let's start with that question. Why would it be, we've got two brothers, okay? Why would it be, is there any clues in the text to explain why God would accept uh, Abel's offering but not Cain's? Yes, there is. Uh, the fruit of the field versus the choicest firstlings, which means that he took great care and he gave him the best he had. Okay, so we've got um, we've got Cain who brings. It says here. Um, he slapped it together. <laughs> he slapped it together. He brought the cho- uh, sorry. Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil. Okay, and Abel, for his part, brought the choicest of the firstlings of his flock. The Lord paid heed to Abel, but to Cain and his offering he paid no heed. Now, so what you're saying is Abel went and take, and in fact, by the way, there are three expressions here which give Abel an edge, right? The first one is uh, the choicest, Mm -hmm. the firstlings, and I'd even say more than that, of his flock. He gives away something of his, whereas with uh, Cain, it says, of the soil, and say of his fruits or anything like that. So, as you, you said before, he slapped it, he, the way he threw one together. He's now, could you, could you let's, let's play, uh, let's try and defend Cain. What could you say in Cain's virtue? Yeah, there were no instructions, right? right? And I'll say more than that. He's the oldest, right? Who, brought, who, who came up with the idea of a sacrifice? Cain, right? Cain brought the first one, right? So he didn't realize, you know, I always find it interesting. Cain's the one who first brings the sacrifice. He had a great idea. Okay, so he didn't bring the best. I don't know if you think about, I don't know what you, whether you're a first child, a second child, a youngest child, right? Uh, or you can think about your kids, right? I'm a second child, right? So <laughs> I certainly think that, and I look, I've got four children. I look at my, we always, you know, pity my first child, even though he's a very cool kid, because he's the guinea pig, right? You know, like, you know, we send him to school. You know, he never was late one day of school for his whole school career. I dread to tell you how many days my youngest has been late for school, right? You know, my youngest turns around and, you know, he says, I don't, you know, I don't, can't be bothered to go, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, right? The first, the first, you know, he always, as a second child, I remember so clearly watching my older sister go to school and knowing what she does and, like, even sort of being able to tweak it Right? Because I had somebody else who'd done it before me, but the first has got no model. Right? They're just doing it themselves. So we can say that Abel did it better, but what's the big surprise? He's number two, right? Cain had the idea to bring the sacrifice, so Cain should get at least some credit for being the first to bring it, right? Even if Abel one upped him, right? If you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's hardly a sin. Yeah. The, kind of what you're bringing up now, this uh, comparison between siblings reminds me of uh, like a way that I've studied this or read this previously, and it, it was taught as this great, um, like really sin, like really a, a quite tragic story of comparison Ooh. of these like two brothers who, you know, one obviously falls, like he's, he's crushed, he's fallen on his face, he's obviously upset, depressed, and what like what, how did he get that way well he's comparing himself to his brother oh, right wow. like he's not feeling confident in his offerings he's not feeling good about what he brought even though it wasn't chosen there's this idea of comparison that is really like damaging to him i think in a very deep way and this comparison is sort of uh, 
this rabbi called it seriously, like the the root of evil. Ooh, when we compare wow. to people, when you compare yourself to someone else, and really that can't is see powerful idea. Goodness. That's a powerful idea. Okay, I want to come back to that in a minute. Okay, uh, uh, there's a s- the, uh, that's that's very powerful. We'll get we'll come back to it in a minute. Um, so one option, but one option is to go with this: that there is that Abel's much more religiously enthusiastic, brings all the first, the choices, the firstlings, and Abel is sort of like, okay, he's casual about it. But again, I find it Cain, but I find that a little difficult. Is there anybody can think of anything else? I, I want to say something a bit about their names, okay, and their professions, because that seems to be quite central here, okay. Cain, his he says the phrase is Kaniti Ishet Hashem, Kaniti is to acquire. And in the first line, right, I have gained a male child with the help of the Lord. We'll come back to that as well. Um, kinyan, the notion of Kinyan is usually acquisition, right? Hevel, everybody know the phrase Hevel, what that means? So the first line of uh, Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, is Hevel Havalim kol Hevel. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Hevel can mean the breath but, uh, you know, let's go to the, the farmer versus the shepherd. Do we have a preference of a farmer versus the shepherd? Do we want to go with any preferences here? Any profession better than the other? I don't know if we have any farmers in the room or shepherds in the room. So, shepherds are way ahead. Shepherds, Abraham's a shepherd, Jacob's a shepherd, Moses a shepherd, David's a shepherd. Shepherds get ahead in the Bible. Um, some people will say that this is exactly, you've got the, the, the shepherd versus the, the farmer. The farmer is always stuck in place. He is master of his land. He has an illusion. Uh, maybe it's only an illusion or maybe it's a reality of mastery. He takes his land. He cordons it off. Nobody's allowed in. He doesn't want anybody in. The shepherd, uh, so he, he can have this feeling of mastery. I'll say, by the way, the lands which were the farming lands, like Egypt. Now, Egypt is a farming territory because it's around a river. So was Sodom, by the way. Right? Um, there are always places where they, they don't want strangers. You don't want strangers because you're... By the way, the farming community is, is stuck in place so everybody knows each other. We don't like foreigners because foreigners only come here to take off our wealth, right? Landowners. And what do we do to other people who come in, strangers? We use them, we abuse them, we, we, we enslave them. They can work for us, but they can't gain our wealth because there's only so much land and we're keeping it. Okay, shepherds experience a different experience. Shepherds are always vulnerable because shepherds have to be in between the farms. That's why the farmers hate the shepherds, right? Somebody was telling me this is, you know, the, the, the what is it in the, in, the, in the Wild West? The, the, the cowboys and, it, and the, exactly Oklahoma, right, yes. Oklahoma talks about this, like it, 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 uh, it's a theme. And, but the, the, from the perspective of the, of the shepherd, the shepherd is much more nomadic, moves around. Right? You'll notice in this story, when Cain kills Abel, God turns him into a shepherd sort of thing. Right? He makes him move. He's not allowed to be settled. He says, hey, want to be an Abel? Here, go try to be like an Abel. Wander around. Um, shepherds are always wandering. They're more vulnerable. They, when, you, when you're, I don't know if you ever have this, you know, I'm traveling at the moment. When you travel, you see things about the communities you go through. You're more insightful because you're out of your safety zone and you're watching from the outside and you see all sorts of interesting things. Traveling can be a very refreshing experience for that reason. But you're so more vulnerable because you, can, you're at, you don't really know how to read the codes. Anyway, 
the, the assumption is that a, a, a shepherd is a more spiritual human being because he's, he is more vulnerable, he has God to rely on. And some people will say that that's exactly the problem, that Cain is from Kinyan acquisition, he's about property, um, he maybe works the land which God has cursed, right? Whereas Abel goes into a profession where he's in a caring profession. He cares for living, breathing animals, right? He's more, he's not, you know, it's not all about the wealth and, and all of that. And, uh, and, and maybe you can go, go to there. Um, do you buy that in the story? No. 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 The ultimate, ultimately, the, the, the animals are going to be either slaughtered and eaten or sacrificed. Right. I mean, it's caring for him because he wants to kill him later. Right. <laughs> right. Although you could say he wants them for their milk and for their fleece, but it's a good point, right? So I'm also not sure whether I want to buy that one, right? But there are people who, who want to go with that as an explanation. So we've come up with two possibilities for the sin. Why did God not accept Cain's, uh, Abel's sacrifice? Either, sorry, why not accept Cain's? He didn't bring the first grade stuff, he brought the low rate stuff, or something to do with his profession. Yes. Would a loving God turn down a sacrifice from one of his children? Thank you. That doesn't make sense. Good question. <laughs> well, good question. Well, um, I'm going to ask it slightly differently. Okay? Um, if we look at them, yes? I am disturbed by loving God. I mean, particularly the uh, further back you get, this God is vengeful, uh, takes vengeance on everyone and everything that crosses this God. Uh, I don't, wouldn't describe it as loving God. It, more of a, maybe a charismatic or... It, there's too much variation in temperament. Okay. It's, it's, not, it's not as steady. It's one day everybody gets killed and one day somebody gets preserved under a tree. But there's a lot of quirkiness there. Right, okay. There's a quirky God. But let's try and look at what God does in this story. And I want to, you know, there are many people who want to paint in this story Cain as the evil one. Like we've been searching for a sin, right, for Cain. Right, there's something wrong with him. And Abel's the, the good guy, right? Otherwise, people love to do this in the Bible, right? Jacob's the good one, Esau's the evil one, right? Even though we know Jacob has a lot of flaws and Esau has quite a number of virtues. And people love to do that. By the way, they love to do that. That's the world of superheroes, right? Uh, people love their superheroes, right? They want to see Darth Vader dressed in black with a mask on. And they want to see Luke dressed in, you know, white. And then we've got, you know, the bad guys and the good guys. And our world is ordered the only problem is you've never met a world like that, right? There isn't a world like that where nobody, where the good guys never sin and the bad guys are just full of evil. We're all complicated people. And I would like to read this story as complicated. I'm even going to say more than that. You spoke about is he a good God or a kind God, right? And I'm not quite sure how to portray God here, but I will say maybe, maybe God's not being fair here. Maybe it wasn't nice, <laughs> Maybe God favored Abel and Cain really felt that it wasn't fair. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say even more than that. Maybe life isn't fair, right? Maybe life isn't fair. Maybe some people are born able-bodied and other people are not. Maybe some people are born tall and handsome and some people are born 
not so tall and not so handsome, right? And we, the truth is, the world isn't fair. You know, if, if, if there's a God, the God doesn't create everybody, we say, all created equal. But no. <laughs> actually, actually not. <laughs> Some people have a higher IQ and other people have a lower IQ. And we don't always get an even start, right? Maybe God is actually not being fair here. And now I'm going to say something. I actually think this story, in many ways, is about what happens when life isn't fair. What happens when life is not fair? And it's, we're gonna, I want to read it in a way where I'm going to say, when life isn't fair, do you deal with it? Do you accept it? Do you work on it? Or do you kill somebody? Right. <laughs> Maybe it's not even a question of being fair. I mean, God got two offerings. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Right. Abel's was better. And he, he basically says then, listen, I mean, he calls it doing right. I don't know if that's the correct term, but he says, you can be its master. Suck it up, do better the next time. Beautiful. And, and go on. But they're brothers, so they fight. Right, which comes back to what Kaylee said. <laughs> right. right? And, and so exactly. So I think I'm going to piece everything together and I want to reread this, right? You've come up with amazing stuff, yes. But who got the better deal in the long run? Abel's dead. Cain <laughs> has this huge long line of family and descendants and, you know, this ganze mishpuche here. And in some ways, he got the better of the deal. Right. It was a tougher deal, and he had to work harder for it, but he got it. Okay, so let's, let's, I'm going to try and reread it again. I don't want to read Cain as a bad person. I want to read him a man who does bad actions, right? But I want to start off by actually saying something interesting about Cain. So let's start off from the beginning of the story again, sorry, and we'll, now we'll try and really make some progress. Um, now, the ma- it says, the man you, uh, was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, and she, she said, and here we have what we call a, a, a name midrash. If you've ever been to a, I don't know, a Brit Milan, and they might get up and explain the name, that's exactly what she's doing. And she explains what her name is. She says, Kaniti Ishet Hashem. I've gained a male child with the help of the Lord. I'd even say maybe more than that. There is a places in the Torah where we say, Konesh Shamayim Va'aretz. We call God Konesh Shamayim Va'aretz. And we mean He is the Creator. She's saying, I have not gained, but I have created a child with God. I actually think this is a very interesting moment because, you know, both Adam and Eve were made by God. This is the first naturally born child. She suddenly sees this child come out of her instead of from the dust of the earth. And she says, oh my gosh, I'm now God's partner in creation. Notice by she doesn't mention her husband. Maybe she doesn't connect the (laughs) sexual act that they had to this, right? Because it's been a long time, right? In other words, she doesn't necessarily connect her conception to um, the sexual act. But she says, "I've uh, I've created a child together with God. I'm God's partner which is actually a very powerful religious statement, and she calls him Cain. Uh, yes, you want to know? There is so much that can go wrong between conception and birth and For sure. after the birth. So I think you can also, while that's a good image, it's, and it's a lovelier interpretation, the fact that she made it through without anyone saying, you know, there were no... There were no mothers before her. Right. So she has to attribute it to some kind of supernatural power. Okay, I go with that. My, what I want to say is that Cain is raised with a religious sensibility. 
right? By the way, Hevel, Abel, gets a very bad rap. If you see the next line, then she bore his brother Abel. No reason is given for his name, right? His, and he's like, in the Hebrew, Vatosef, right? Second born, you said, right? And she had another one. It doesn't say she conceived. It doesn't give a reason for his name. It's almost like there's no photos in the photo album, right? We don't know why they, you know, they lost the photos. And, and uh, Abel is just Abel. He's just a breath. He's just a, a breath. It's actually a very interesting name. Uh, some people say it's called just Hevel, which is like a breath, because that's what he actually did. He was snuffed out. His breath was snuffed out. In which case, you will actually say to me, well, what sort of a crazy name is that uh, to give somebody in the Bible? Or how call Hevel? Everything's nothingness. And the answer is he's probably called Hevel in by the Bible because that was his um, you know, legacy. That became his end. But in truth, in, in the Syriac dialect, the Syriac language, uh, Hevel or something like that, Habel, means a, a, a shepherd. <laughs> and uh, so it's probably a play on the word for she- ancient word for shepherd in other dialects, and they put it into Hebrew as, you know, a, a breath. Okay, so then it says like this, Abel became a, a keeper of sheep, Cain became a tiller of the soil, and by the way, if I can go back to what Kaylee said, it goes, Cain, Abel, Abel, Cain, it's always lining them up, right? Um, in the course of time, Cain... Cain, and by the way, I don't like that translation because in the Hebrew, it's vahimi ketsiamim, which probably means at the end of an agricultural year. It's the end of a season of farming because yamim can mean days, but it can also mean a year. And in, at the end of a year, Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil. I want to say that Cain is actually very religious. He brings a sacrifice. It might not be as wonderful as Abel, but he was, grew up with a very religious mother, and he wants to serve God, and he, he initiated it. And then Cain, Abel, as, as we said, second bested him, right? Or, or, you know, and he brought the choicest of the first things of the flock, and Lord paid heed to Abel and his offering. But to Cain's offering, he paid no heed. Now, how does Cain feel at this point? He feels rejected. He was distressed, and his face fell. What does that mean, his face fell? He lost face, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody's face falls, what are they feeling? Well, Depressed? He was shocked. Was shocked. shocked. What else? Abandoned? I would say maybe even ashamed. Yeah, right? I was going to say embarrassed. Embarrassed. And again, who would he embarrass by? His brother, right? His little brother after all, right? He, his, brother won, his little brother won the, won the cup, right? And he is there and he's never won a championship in his life. He's really, you know, he's feeling, I should be the oldest, I should have the advantage, and my little brother is, you know, is beating me. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. I certainly am. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. Not as uh, necessarily loving and not necessarily as uh, spurious or, or, or vengeful, but in a different way. Um, the Lord said to Cain, why are you distressed and why is your face fallen? That's what he asked him. In other words, what's he saying? Cain, want to talk about it? Yeah, let's have a chat. <laughs> I see you're feeling really bad, right? Now, what's interesting is, we don't see Cain answer the question. 
Right? God frequently asks questions like, he asks uh, to, to Adam, you know, where are you? And Adam doesn't, you know, really answer very well. Um, in this case, he says, you know, where is uh, your, Abel, your brother? Um, he asks questions. Cain doesn't want to talk about it. So God has to say something to him. Right? Sometimes these conversations, especially as a parent, I can say, sometimes they work well and sometimes they're real <laughs> dismal failure. In this case, God really fails as a parent. I mean, he, it wasn't his fault, I guess, but... God really fails, because this is what he says to him. Surely, if you do right, imtetiv from the word tov, say it, there is uplift. In other words, you'll be able to, if you do something right, you'll be able to lift up your head. You won't hang your head anymore. But if you do not do right, sin crouches, that should say crouches, sorry, not couches. Sin crouches at the door. Its urge is towards you, yet you could be its master. Now, what is this sin which is crouching at the door? Envy, right? Envy. Comparison. Or comparison, right? Which I think is closely, mm-hmm. right? This, in other words, some people want to claim that the sin is, uh, that he had done some sort of sin. But I think it's difficult to say he did a sin. So I think we're going to read it this way, right? That uh, Cain is really feeling sore about his, his loss. Uh, again, you might say, well, it's not fair. God set him up. And that's what you said. But I, I, I'm going to try and put this in a more positive light, and I'll say something I once heard from one of my teachers, where he said, you know, when kids come back and they, they come back from kindergarten, they've brought home a picture, and it's, it's, it's really, let's face it, right? You know, the pictures we put of our children on the refrigerator, they're just real scribbles, right? But we say, oh, Johnny, that is beautiful. That is a masterpiece. That is fantastic, right? That is really wonderful, yeah? And we do that, however good or however bad it is, because they're little kids, right? However, if we did that to our 16-year-olds or our 18-year-olds when they came back, they brought home a terrible piece of writing, right? They did their history homework right in front of the computer while playing video games at the last minute without researching anything, right? And we said, hey, Johnny, what a great piece of work, right? If that's what our teachers did to our kids, we would not be happy. And frankly, as parents, we, shouldn't, we also shouldn't do that. In other words, I'd even say more than that. Let's say somebody... I don't know, somebody in sports, and you can see that a kid's got a real, real potential, right? And they've done it. They've done their homework. But they know they're capable of much more, right? I'm saying this as a guy who every single report I always got said this. If he worked a little more, he could really do better. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And you know what? It was true, right? It was true, right? If I would have worked harder, I would have done better, right? I actually think that's why God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice. He knows that Cain is capable of more. We see from the end of the story, Cain's line is so creative, right? They create music and metal and this and that. They're very creative. And when Cain brings the second-rate sacrifices, he can do more. God's trying to, you know, trying to push him into a, into a better place. Okay, so now Cain's feeling really, really angry that his brother got ahead. And God's saying, you know what? You can really, if, if you work a little harder... You'll get ahead, right? Which is true, right? And if you don't, right, sin crashes at the door. Your envy, your comparison, whatever you want to say, yeah? And it's urges towards you. Now, what, what, what does that mean? What do you think that means, it's urges towards you? Temptation. What's tempting him? To, to act on his envy. Action. To act on his envy. I, I didn't say before he even acts. One stage is to, we sometimes talk about something called a victim complex, right? <laughs> that you feel, you feel, right, you feel like you've been done, you know, 
a wrong in life, right? Uh, there's some. Let's say he does. Because then you get two things here. You get Cain brought the fruit of the soil. Right. He didn't say he just brought him wheat. He didn't just bring him whatever he brought. He brought him what, when you use the word fruit of the soil, right. you can't have anything better than that. Right. Just like Abel couldn't have anything better than the first one. And then it says here, surely if you do right, he is saying you did wrong. I mean, he did wrong, but it wasn't knowingly. Right. I mean, we have no, there's no sense of knowing. This is almost like setting up original sin, in a way. Right. Uh, that, that you're wrong, you did nothing wrong, but it's wrong and you're guilty. I'm not sure I agree with you, but let's say even say you're right, okay? Let's say somebody really feels that life has dealt them a complete injustice, right? They have grown up without any money, without a parent, without this, without that and the other, right? And everyone's getting ahead and they've been left behind, okay? And now they're feeling really down on themselves. And now I think the story is saying, right, what are your choices? It's very easy to be in the victim context and to blame everybody else and to blame life and everything else. And it's, and what does it say here? It's urges towards you. In other words, it's attractive. You know, the world's against me and they're all wrong. But you know what will happen? It won't get you anywhere. It won't get you anywhere. And in fact, it'll do more than that. If you wallow with the anger, you let it fester, you let it grow, right? <laughs> I'm trying to stay away from politics on this trip. This trip. But, 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 but yes, but yes, in the sense that, right, we can see how sometimes these uh, anger in society, and if I don't even go, you know, comes out in a sense of rage. Comes out in a sense of rage. I think the challenge is how, what he says at the end, you can be its master. Take that rage and put it into a positive way. Go be better than your brother, right? Or, if you want to go with Kaylee, stop comparing yourself to, to your brother, right? Go ahead on your own way, put that aside, but again, make something of your life, right? Now, of course, this is the point where Cain doesn't answer, and we know what course Cain decides to do. That's the next line. Cain said to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain set upon his brother Abel and killed him. So I don't understand that, set, that fragment. Cain said to his brother Abel, it's a fragment, it, it, right. there's no right. complete sentence there. There's no complete sentence there. Uh-huh. Right? There's something incomplete there. It's almost like, what did he say? Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Now, by the way, there's a very fascinating midrash. It's a lovely, lovely midrash. Oh, I just read it. <laughs> 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 it's, in, it's in number seven here on page three. There's a, a Midrash. This was a Midrash that uh, one of my teachers, Nechama Leibowitz, used to love to quote. Um, and uh, it reads like this. It, 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 the Midrash is really trying to grapple what could they have discussed? What could they be arguing about? And it wants to it, it bring... It, it's fascinating. I'll read it. Okay? Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. About what? Did they quarrel? So we're going to have the first option. Come, said they. Let us divide the world. In other words, we're arguing about stuff. Let's divide it up. One took the land, and the other took the movables. Read the two, these are two classic types of uh, legal categories. You've got land, and then you've got movables. And the former said, wait, the land you're standing on is mine. This was an unsuccessful division of assets. <laughs> and the latter said, what you're wearing is mine. One said, strip. The other reported, fly off the ground. And out of this quarrel, Cain rose against his brother Abel. Right? Interesting. So the first one was about possessions about material goods. 
Rabbi Yeshua of Sikhin said in Rabbi Levi's name, both took the land and both took the movables, but what were they quarreling about? One said, the temple must be built in my area. They're very, they're very religious people. They care about sacrifices. So we're going to have a temple. One says it's going to be in my area, and the other one says it's in my area, right? And uh, that's what they... <laughs> and nothing's changed, exactly, right? Yudha Barami said their quarrel was about Chavad, Eve. Said Rabbi Abu, the, the first Eve, the, the Eve had died, and then what was their quarrel? Whichever way, they're arguing about women. And the question is, who are they going to marry? Either when Adam dies, who's going to marry Eve? Or that there's some girl hanging around, and they're arguing about this girl, who's going to get her? And in the end, one kills each other. Necham Levit said, what's this Midrash saying? There are three reasons why people resort to violence, why wars have happened in the history of humankind. People either argue over land, or, or lust, or religion, right? And that explains it all. <laughs> so if you want to understand why people kill, right, why there is rivalry in the world, it's either about, you know, I want your land, I want your country and you invade, or I want your women or a wife, or I want your, or, or it's religious wars. And that explains it. The problem is that's sort of like imposing world history into our story, which I don't deny is a sort of midrashic technique. Um, but our text doesn't tell us what they, argue, what they were talking about. And maybe it really makes no difference. I, I would actually say it differently. It says, in the, in the Hebrew it says, um, Cain spoke to Abel, and then when they were in the field, he rose up and killed him. In other words, it doesn't make a difference what he said. He set him up. He said, let's go into the field. I'll mention that the field is always the place where nobody is around, where... Uh, you know, it's a place outside of civil art, outside where the houses are. It's a place where, you know, nobody is around. It's the private place. He lures him into the, to the field and then he deliberately kills him. In other words, lest we should think that this was an accident, right? It's not an accident. He kills him. This is the first murder. Now, again, what I want to say is it might well be that the first murder is a response to God not being fair, God dealing a very unpleasant thing. But just because I've... Maybe that's exactly the point. Just because I've, life has dealt me a really rotten deal, does that mean I should kill? Even then, sorry, you mustn't kill. Yes? Uh, let, me, let me ask a question. Um, you said Cain is a religious man. So Cain believed that God was omnipotent and knew everything that's going on. So did he think when God asked him where's Abel that he, he could get away with saying, I'm on my brother's keeper, but I don't know where he is? So let's assume he's not saying that, right? Um, let's, we might be able to even read a little more sinister, right? He says, so the, in the, exactly in the next line, right? He says, uh, where is your brother Abel? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What's he saying? Am I responsible, Am I responsible for him? Or he could be saying, how should I know? Am I responsible for him? I want to say it even, let's say he's not only angry with Abel, but he's angry with God. So what's he saying? You should know where he is. You should know where he is. You should have looked after him better, shouldn't you? Right? <laughs> In other words, it's your fault. Right? It's your fault. Right? If you, if you were a little, if you hadn't done, I'm claiming that Abel's playing the, the, the Cain's the victim. Right? So he says, God, you, you made me do it. Right? You should be looking after him because you know how angry I am. And you know what you did to me. 
And that was the only course of action I could do. It's your fault. And you let sin crouch at my door. Exactly. Right? You let sin crouch at my door. So, so over here on, on number eight, Lord, from the scene from Lord Byron, it's that, that Cain didn't even know what he did. What, what, what did he do? He, he, was, he was in another, another world. And, right. And, well, you know, that comes to try and answer a, a slightly different question, which is the question, of how did Cain get away with it? Right? <laughs> in other words, if we, if we have sort of reciprocal thing, if Cain killed, then what would you expect? He should be killed, right? Instead, what happens next? Cain says to God, uh, God says, you're going to wander around. Why did God say you're going to die? Right? And then when Cain says, oh my gosh, you, you punished me so badly, God says, okay, I'll protect you. Like, how does he get away with that? Why does God... It's like one of the most bizarre things about this story. You'd expect him to be punished maybe more severely, right? I mean, God can create another human being. Maybe he should punish him and uh, create another human being. Or, as we'll see at the end of the story, uh, Adam and Eve are, ha- are capable of having other children. Kill Cain. Why does, why does he get off? Maybe it goes back to the very, very beginning of the story. Like when we were talking about Eve's, like she described his name. He was the firstborn. There's this sort of like religiousness about his birth and his conception that like he can't be killed. Right, because he's the first. He represents something. Maybe, maybe. Um, uh, I did hear somebody maybe. once give an explanation that God didn't want, God had this project called humanity. <laughs> 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 and he's not, he's not closing it down quite yet. Yeah. So to kill Cain would really be closing the project. <laughs> um, well, maybe it was worse for him to have to live with this. Right. For the rest of his life. You know, if he was this religious person, maybe at some point he would realize, oh, I really screwed up. And right. he has to live with it has every to live, day. Like, that we have to live with things that we do wrong. Right. right? This, this Lord Byron, though, quote, if it's here, we might, we, we, let's read it because it's fun. I mean, it's interesting. And uh, he's got this whole Byron. You can look, find it on the internet. That's where I found it. Um, he has this whole play about this story. Really amazing. And uh, here he's explaining that, you know, sort of Cain didn't quite realize what he'd done. You know, you know he punched him, but he realized, or beat him up, but he didn't quite realize what he's doing. So he says, where am I? Alone. Where's, where, where's Abel? Where? Cain? Can it be that I am here? You, my brother? Awake? Why lies you so on the green, on the green earth? It is not the hour of slumber. Why so pale? What hast thou? Thou were full of life this morning. Hey, well, I pray thee, mock me not. I smote too fiercely, but not fatally. Oh, why would you oppose me? This is mockery, and only done to daunt me. It was a blow, ah, but a blow. Stir, stir, nay, only stir. Why so? That's well, thou breathest, breathes on me. Oh, God, oh, God. In other words, um, realizing that he's actually killed him. Right? I mean, nobody's been killed before. It could be that animals have been killed, which is why I do wonder whether he... I, I suspect he really did know what it was to kill because they'd probably killed animals. Right? If they were meant to be vegetarians or no, maybe they hadn't killed the animals and they'd only used them for their milk and for their fleece, in which case you can make an argument that he really, really did not understand what he was doing when he, when he hit him. Or they sacrificed, though. They, they sacrificed animals so he didn't... Right. This only says an offering. It didn't say sacrifice. Right. I think this was the first one. I don't know what he did. Maybe he burnt it. Uh, you know. Maybe I, don't, I have no idea. 
whichever way, um, God somehow decides to let Cain somewhat off the hook, right? And tells him that he's going to be an incessant wanderer, and he's going to be wandering around. And let's, let's uh, maybe try and see if we can... Okay, let's... Uh, um, I'm going to start... I'm just going to read a few lines. I know you've read it, but... Uh, um, one second. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read from verse 12, but quickly. If you till the soil, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You shall become a ceaseless wanderer on the earth. Which, again, I said before, is interesting, because he's sort of like an Abel now, because he's a, a shepherd wandering around. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Since you've banished me this day from the soil, and I must avoid your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, anyone who meets me may kill me. In other words, you don't want to kill me, right? You said you don't want to kill me, you just want me to wander. So give me some protection. The Lord said, I promise, if anyone kills Cain, sevenfold vengeance should be taken on him. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who met him should kill him. By the way, here, the, the uh, sign of Cain or mark of Cain, in modern society, it's a mark of a murderer, right? But this is actually the opposite, right? This is meant to be something which will protect him, okay? By the way, nobody, nobody knows what it is. The Midrash has a wonderful time um, discussing what possibly it could be, that what mark he was given. Some say he was given a horn. Um, uh, some, some say, one lovely midrash which I really like is, he was given a dog, that uh, people should be scared. He was given a guard dog, right? Or maybe a, god which, a dog which will scare people if they come too close, and uh, that will protect him, right? Some want to claim that he just had some, you know, aura about him that, uh, that made people scared of him, like, one Midrash says that every time he came close to somebody, the land shook, right? Uh, all these fascinating... What was the mark? How did people know not to kill him, right? Can you read in line 14, can you read, and I must avoid your presence and become a restless wanderer on earth, that I will no longer be religious, I will no longer daven, I will no longer... <laughs> I don't know if he's daven, but that's an interesting question. He certainly feels he's being cast out from God, right? And he says, yeah, verse, verse 16, Cain left the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Right? But he becomes a teacher of God, really. I mean, a teacher for God. It seems like whenever we end up people wandering, be it the shepherd or whoever it is, they become an example to other people. Mm. Here's Cain is mar- marked as a murderer, in essence. He murdered someone. Uh, he's going to be protected by God, but people are going to see him and encounter him. They're not going to kill him, but they're going to learn from him that this is not acceptable. Wow. So that's very interesting because the phrase to wander is na vanad tieb aretz. You're going to be moving a nud. And then it actually says in the very next line, which you just read, verse 16, Cain left the presence of the Lord, but he doesn't wander. He settles in the land of nud, <laughs> in the land of wandering. In other words, he calls the land wandering and he settles there. He doesn't keep on wandering. And he actually makes east of Eden... And he knows his wife. They bear a son called Enoch. And he finds a, founds a city and names the city after his son uh, Enoch. Right? And Enoch has a son who's called Erad. The word for a city is Ir. So he calls his son Erad. So it's actually very interesting that actually Cain and his children seem to actually settle. And then more and more people gather there. And they form the first city. They don't actually wander. And now we get the whole family line, right? So he has Mehuyael, and they have Mechutael, and Mechutael has Lemech. And now we see the story of Lemech, which is a very interesting... Lemech has three children, right? By the way, again, fascinating. 
it's very interesting to wonder what these children are all about because one is called Yuval, sorry, one is called Yaval, and one is called Yuval, and one is called Tuval, right? Yaval, Yaval, Yuval, and Tuval. What do these names sound like? Hevel. They're all derivatives of the word Hevel, right? Hevel, Yaval, Yuval, Tuval. They're all playing around with the, with the, with the language of Abel, right? Even in the, in the English. Abel, Jabel, right? Jabal or Jubal and Tubal, right? Sounds like Abel. You understand what I'm saying? They're all, le- what does that mean? I'm not quite sure, but they're a very creative family. One of the children develops the first one, right? Tents and animal and herds, right? He perfects sheep farming. The second one, musical instruments, right? Verse, 20, verse 21, the lyre and the pipe. And then Selah, the second wife, bears Tubal Cain, a mixture of Cain and, a- and Abel. And uh, they make all implements of copper and iron. So we see that the Abel line is enormously creative, has overcome their curse of wandering, created civilization. If the story ended here, I would actually say that's a happy ending, right? That Cain learned from his past, right, has created a wonderful positive civilization, has actually had children who take Abel's name and bring civilization to positive places, to technological uh, advancement. And it's a happy story, right? And by the way, there are actually some people who really do want to read the whole story as a happy story. Nachmanides, the Ramban, actually reads the story that uh, Cain's line are very aware of their, uh, you know, like a uh, sort of reformed uh, convict, right? They're very aware of their violent past and they discard their violent past and that's what it is. But the problem is this poem at the end. And <laughs> so let's read that. Somebody want to read it for us, verse 23? Somebody want to read? Yeah? Sure. Thank you. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Azilla, hear my voice. O wives of Lamech, give ear to my speech. I have slain a man for wounding me and a lad for bruising me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What's, what's, this, uh, what's this poem? Very bizarre. Very bizarre. I've got an explanation. I put it on page four. Maybe it'll help. I actually brought in two, two, modern commenta- two more modern commentators. Malbim is a commentator from the 19th century. Um, Kasuto, an tw- early 20th century commentator, professor at Hebrew University. Malbim says that Lemach says to his wives, Hear my voice and don't rebel against me, for a man wounded me and I killed him. And as I killed him, he inflicted an injury, which is less severe than a wound, and I killed his son too. So there was no one less to rise up against me and seek their blood at my hand. For there is no judgment against me in the land, for I possess power. If you wish to say that I'll be punished by divine justice, then my response is that if Cain, who was the first murderer, was nevertheless told by God that whoever killed him would suffer sevenfold vengeance, how much more that this should apply to Lemech, who is more powerful than Cain and governs with a mighty reign, whoever kills him shall suffer a 77-fold revenge, for his sons and servants will all exact revenge. Quite a statement. Um, if you look at Kasuto, he says the following. After setting forth the innovations that Cain and his descendants introduced into human culture, the Torah records Lemech's song, which shows that material progress had brought no 
noticeable moral <laughs> development. I think the translation here, by the way, the word robbery shouldn't say robbery. I think it's a bad translation. I think it should say violence. But violence was prevalent, and acts of violence were a source of pride for those generations. It was specifically the lowest traits most hated by God that were considered praiseworthy in human eyes. Under such circumstances, it was impossible for the judge of the entire earth to perform justice. None of the achievements of material culture have any value if there are no positive moral traits. The way they're reading it like is, is, is this, that Lemech turns around and says, I don't still hear my voice. O wise of Lemech, give it to my speech. A man wounded me and I killed him. A lad bruised me and I got rid of him. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, God, you protected Cain and said anybody who touches you will be sevenfold avenged. How does Lemech read that as? Praise, right? It was good that he killed, right? That's how the legend gets told, right? So if you touch me, you'll be punished 77-fold. According to this, what, God has said, what, what the Bible's telling us is that society just got more violent. Or I'll put it this way. Um, I wonder if we have a pen here. Yes, look at that. Okay, this will be very useful. I hope this writes. Uh, we have chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, is creation. Suddenly we get to chapter 6 and we have the flood. That's a little crazy. The word creation all the time is, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. Before the flood it says, and God saw that the man was evil. Here the word is tov, here the word is ra. (laughs) In between this, we see four sins, right? We we see, uh, We see the sin of Eden, of the eating of the apple where man... And, and woman rebel against God and they don't listen to the only command. We see the, the, the sin of Cain. We see the sin of Lamech. And then we see the generation of the flood. The idea that the flood, we see the violence. And it says, the sons of the judges or the sons of Beneha uh, Elohim, the sons of all the legal powers, Take whichever women they want, right? There's just a, a society of lawlessness. How did we get from the era of Tov, of good, to the era of evil, of Ra? If you count up all the years, by the way, we're talking about 1,600 years or something like that. And the Bible can only think of four things to tell, four stories to tell us, right? The first story is where man says, I don't need God's rules, I can do what I like, right? I know God gave me one thing not to do, not to eat from that tree. I want to do it anyway, right? Okay, we're all a little curious and rebellious. I'm going to do it anyway, right? Cain, if, if the, it says the world was filled with lawlessness or violence. How do we get to violence? Cain's the story of a murder in hot-blooded murder. Somebody was angered and furious and bitter, and they killed. Lerach is when violence becomes a system of putting fear. Notice he's singing a song. He's saying a poem. He's saying, I live by violence, right? Uh, he's even got musical implements to, <laughs> musical instruments to accompany him, right? It's very interesting how he takes all of his son's technology, he sings a song, he's got music, right? And now he's got metal implements, but instead of using them to farm, instead of using them, one of the interesting things they say is that why didn't they use the implements? God had cursed the earth. Use the metal implements to plow, to dig, Right? Uh, what do we always say? They will turn their swords into plowshares. You've got a choice. Do you do the plowshare? Because God had cursed the land. But we can turn back the curse, right? 
we can turn back the, in our age in so, so many of the curse we've got modern machinery turns back the curse of the land we've got uh, thank god fertility treatments and other things which turn back some of the curses of of eve we've used our technology for positive means but we all know technology can be used to kill and that's what happens with Lamech. And of course, the last stage is the generation of the flood where violence prevails. So this is a story that Genesis wants to tell us how human beings are so capable of, of, of how should I say it, ruining our society. But I want to go back to, to maybe what I think is the linchpin of this story. Um, I've depressed you all. <laughs> I just see such an analogy. I, I think somebody must have said yeah. that's, that's what I'm. Well, that's what I want to say. I want to say that 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 you know when when life is unfair. By the way, this is this is in all different directions, right? When you know, especially let's talk about it. The, the we have election, and each side, right? Um, whoever the loser is might really feel that really wasn't fair, right? And you can even say, in this case, the winning side felt that last time it wasn't fair, and their life was turned upside down. But again, the question is, the worst thing would be, and I talk about this as an Israeli, right, who, you know, if America's traumatic event is, you know, the assassination of JFK, our traumatic assassination is Yitzhak Rabin, right, that suddenly there was one faction in Israel who felt that the whole of history was going against them, and suddenly decided, because they were, felt that they had been taken down and it wasn't going their way to raise a, a weapon against somebody and to gain shift the course of history. And I, I look at this and say, okay, maybe life doesn't go away. Maybe life isn't fair. You can wallow in misery and let it fester, right? Or you can say, fine, we are moving ahead. You can control it. You can control it. You can use everything in your power to bring more good into the world, to make sure that in your bit of the world, you can excel. You can excel and you can say, fine, I will make it better. Right? I will make it better. I'll do everything in my power because from my vision of the world, I'm going to work to do that. But the thing not to do is to wallow in all of that um, frustration and to let it erupt in illicit actions by taking down the opposition because that's when society begins to fall apart. Right? So maybe this, uh, this which we said, you know, why are we talking about? Maybe this does have some very relevant messages for us, for our society. And sometimes you hear people in society talking this way. You know, this person better watch their back. They're going to, you know, they better get some security. No, that is not where we want to go because that leads to destruction and ruin, right? And the only way to do it is to look at ourselves and say, like the Bible says, you can be its master. You can take your anger, channel it into, you can take your frustration, you can take all of that and, and, and channel it into a better place and find that in your sector of the world, right, um, maybe you can even, you know, as Kayla was saying before, look the other way, not always be getting irritated by the opposition, but find a way in which to take your values, make them flower in your little part of reality until the pendulum swings in the other direction. But we have to be very careful of these tendencies. As I said, I start off by saying this is a mythic story. It's not a story in the past. It's a story in the present. It's a story about human psychology. It's a story about human sociology. It's a story about mankind as a whole. And that's why we need to keep on reading these stories because they remind us of very important things. So um, thank you very much. I'm happy to take any questions. Yes? So would you say the whole Bible, the whole um, Tanakh, the whole five books of Moses are all story? Are not real? 
no, they, it didn't happen, and it's just um, from to I, think that, about for the future. There are I definitely guess. people who are. Like the, you know, there are definitely the there are like definitely that. people who would who would who would go in that, to that direction. Oh, so I don't know. Um, I'll say if you're asking me personally, Alex Israel, um, I don't. I'm quite a traditionalist, and therefore I sort of will go with this mythic thing until Abraham. Um, I look at the stories until the story of the Tower of Babel is very much prehistory. Um, but with the story of Abraham and you know that's really the beginning of our people because um, it's it's very difficult. You know we certainly don't have any scientific evidence of a, a flood which enveloped the whole of a global flood 3,500 years ago, whatever it is, if you want to date it back. And therefore, I look at a lot of that as being, in some sense, prehistory. This uh, myth of, the, of the everybody being one society and splitting up into lots of dialects. We have a much older history of dialects. But I, I, I think the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, in many ways, is quite believable. It fits in a historical context. Um, one of the Some people want to argue that it doesn't. I remember once, a couple of years ago, reading a, an article in the New York Times um, where they wanted to claim that the story of Genesis couldn't be true because Abraham sends his servant with ten camels to find a, a, a wife for Isaac, and that in the, in the Middle East as it was then, there were no camels. Right? Camels had not been brought to the Middle East at that time. And I raised this with a friend of mine, and he sent me... It was a remarkable. I could, this was an article in the New York Times. So you know, sometimes you believe what's in the newspaper, right? <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so you know, Abraham. By the way, we're talking about dating Abraham to like 1,800 BCE, right? So I, I sent this to a friend of mine who's who's a Bible scholar, and uh, what he did was he sent me back a um, something from the from the website of the Met, of the Metropolitan Museum in New York, which was a head of a camel. And it says, it's a head of a camel uh, carved into stone. Um, and it says, dated the th- third millennia BCE from Mesopotamia. <laughs> That's just what he sent me. Otherwise, somebody's already making figurines of camels, right? A few hundred years before Abraham. So he says, why did the New York Times say they didn't exist? People are already making <laughs> artistic images of them, right? So I actually feel that the stories of Abraham um, are somewhat believable, right? And uh, this is our history, and therefore I'm, I'm willing to go with that. It's, it's the first 11 chapters, which are written in a far, and actually from a literary perspective, they have much more a different feel to them. Whereas from the Abraham stories, it takes on a more historical vein. Um, to deal with the historicism of the Bible, I know there are, isn't a huge amount of evidence of the Exodus and other things. So, you know, and, and I know that, you know, miracles aren't so rational, right? I'm fully aware of all those things. And yet, uh, from my perspective, I'm quite willing to go with a, a more historical read of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stories along with the Exodus. Um, but this mythical thing I read much more for the first 11, almost like prehistory. That's where I draw my line. may not be true, but the others are. Right. By the way, I didn't say they're not true. I believe they're really true. They're true, but in a different realm of truth. <laughs> I think there's, there's true, something, a story, I, I, by saying they're mythic, I didn't, I didn't say they weren't true. I think they're ultra true, right? I think, I think the story and the way that the creation is made in seven days, right? I don't think this world, geologically, those beautiful mountains that we see around us, happened in seven days, right? But I think the story of the seven days of creation is very true. Uh, but I think it's coming to tell me a different story. 
I don't think it's coming to tell me about how we got here. I think it's telling me why I'm here. Right? Uh, it's telling me that I'm here because it's a good world. I think it's telling me I'm here because the world is created from very basic things till human beings, and human beings are told, take responsibility for your world. I think it's telling me why I'm here, not how I'm here. But that's a much longer discussion. Maybe, maybe I'll give a, maybe, maybe that's my topic for my next lecture when I come next time. If you consider time as relative, you don't really know it's supposed to be oh, day. Right, that's day also day. true. Uh, once we get into relativity, then it's open game for a lot of things. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure learning with you. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you've just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybaitmadrash.org and donating to Valley Beit Midrash to support the expansion of meaningful Jewish education. Thank you so much for listening.